Good morning, Rod. Good, good morning, Fred. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, five of you. That, good morning, Laura. Hi, how are you? Good morning, all you Royal Pioneer commanders and leaders in the building. Nice to see you, Royal, Royal Pioneers. Excellent. Eric, I thought you said when I preached there was going to be nobody here. You're like, dude, I'll give you Veterans Day. There won't be anybody here. I don't even know where you are anymore. What's going on? You guys all, I'm clean shaven. I took a bath. Yes. I washed, shaved my hair. Thank you. Thank you. Just, I can do that for you guys. I'm capable of, you know, all those amazing things. Trunk or Treat was amazing. I just want to thank you guys for uh, helping us put on an event that 500 plus or so people in our neighborhood, in our community, get a chance to come through. And in case you missed it, every year, um, I like to think of it as this old dog learns a new trick. We decided that we want to do something that would please the Lord besides pass out candy and be a good influence, which is a good thing. But we added the prayer tent this year. And Pearl, wherever our prayer warrior Pearl and Karen and some of the people were in the... We got a nice little report uh, following the event from Pearl about all the prayer that happened on that event. And we've already kind of early talked about next year moving the prayer tent to front and center. So when they come down the end of the aisle, the first thing they run into is the prayer tent. And, you know, it's just a wonderful thing to be able to do something and have an influence in our neighborhood. And I'm so grateful today that if you are here, besides the fact that we get to celebrate veterans, which is an amazing thing, thank you for all. Um, all of you who serve to give us freedom. We really do underestimate the value of freedom. Um, I get a chance to work with the police and first responders and people of that nature, so not something that I take lightly, um, but thank you. But today, at the end of the service, believe it or not, we get to celebrate something else. We get to celebrate a baptism of a young man who's grown up in the pioneers, the Royal Pioneers. We got some of the leaders here. Can some of the leaders, Royal Rangers, can you guys stand up really quick? Can his leader stand up really quick? I want you guys to realize that these men right here have poured into Jay, who's going to be baptized at the end of service, and they made sure that they were here today to celebrate, and Jay will be getting baptized. Thank you, guys. Jay will be getting baptized at the end of service, so instead of my traditional Southern Baptist hour and 20-minute message, I'll only be able to do 30 minutes this morning. I'm so sorry. Some of you want to applaud already. Was that like two applauds over Carrie, that's not very nice. That's not, I'm going to call your name. It's not very nice. I have three stands worth of information. I can still do it if I have to. I just, I'm telling myself that I won't. The thing about this message is it's really amazing. The book of Acts is such an amazing book. You know, you go to seminary, you get a chance to study a couple different books. They tell you, John, if you ever talk with someone about the first book in the Bible that you ever give someone to read because of its comprehension of Jesus' life, it's the book of John. Or if you ever find someone who wants to study church theology or just a book that you want to sit on a desert island with and contemplate for the rest of your life, Romans. But the reality for us, as we sit here today some 2,000 years later, there's really only one book that benefits us every single time we study it, every single time we open it up and walk through chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and exegete and really draw out the life experiences of the first church, the Acts. It's the first acts of the first church is so important. It really covers about a seven-year span of the first church's history, 28 chapters, written by Dr. Luke, a secondary book to his um, gospel book, Luke. And it's such an amazing book because today we're in chapter 6. If you want to turn there in advance, chapter 6, and uh, I'm going to be doing verses 1 through 7. 
And really, we're going to reach this, this kind of crescendo of all the growth and all the different things that have happened. When all these different people and, and so many people are coming together for good, it's inevitable that difficulty will come. And really, depending on how you look at controversy, conflict, struggle, growing pains, depending on how you look on it today, you're going to get a chance to see something. The early church looked on it as an opportunity to see God's faithfulness. And the results of how they addressed struggle, strife, and conflict is something that we too can learn from and remind ourselves that this is something that has been part of the church from the beginning of time, 2,000 years ago, and now it's continuing to be with us today. And there's a way that we can do it and walk through it that doesn't have to be ripping us apart or tearing us apart or causing division, but instead it can be drawing us closer so that what? So that the word of God always goes forward. And that's the end goal for that. The results of everything that it does is that this 2,000-year-old 2000 DNA, 2000 DNA is still percolating in our blood today. As we stand here today, as we sit in this building today, we are the results of a match that was struck 2,000 years ago by this first group of people gathered together. And then in chapter 1, we learn they selected their leaders. They prayed that God would do something with them. We call them the apostles, right? They're like the initial elders of the church. And in chapter 2, the Spirit of God so radically moves upon this first group of believers. Maybe they're 500, 300 or so in the beginning, but 3,000 people come to the Lord in this first whirlwind of the movement of the Spirit of God. In that whirlwind and the movement in the Spirit of God, people speak languages that are unknown to them. Perhaps in a room like this, a dialect of uh, Tagalog and Cantonese and French and German begins to be spoken all throughout the building, so much so that the neighbors think there's some kind of drunken rivalry going on in the building. But what's happening is different languages are being spoken through the power of the Spirit of God so that the Word of God can go out to every known language as all these Jews and all these people from all over all being drawn together. And the Word of God goes out so mightily. 3,000 first come to the Lord. And then what happens after growth in chapters 3 and 4? Miracles, signs and wonders, all these amazing things, so much momentum. You would imagine everything has to be such a good thing for the church, but it doesn't. We run into our first situation. We run into this situation for Ananias and Sapphira. We run into the situation where the city's telling them, you know what? We don't want you guys to continue to talk about this Jesus. It's starting to cause division. And by chapter 4 and verse 4, we find out that the apostles are speaking the name of God so regularly, day in and day out, that another 5,000 men, verse 4, chapter 4, Acts, 5,000 additional men are recorded coming to the Lord. Now, they did this like when they fed the 5,000, they record the men. It doesn't account for the women or the children. But basically, at this time, the church is completely on fire. So in chapter 6, we're talking about a church that's maybe a year, a year and a half old. If the book covers seven years, every four chapters is maybe about a year, year and a half. This church is just absolutely bringing people together. And that's because at Pentecost, all the dispersed Jews from all over the world are all coming back to Jerusalem. And so today, in chapter 6, we're going to find out there's a situation. Part of the situation is going to be some of the Jews that have come back who are Greek-speaking Jews called Hellenists, are going to run into a little bit of a situation. You know, last week when we did chapter 5, I don't know about you, but the Ananias and Sapphira thing is kind of like a movie script, right? You read about the book of Acts and you think about how amazing the church is. They're giving, they're loving, they're kind. They sell their belongings and they donate and everyone gives all they have for the sake of good. And then you find out about this one couple who holds something back. 
And then the same way that the Spirit of God is moving so mightily for the whole church to be birthed, all of a sudden there's a situation where someone holds back, and the same Spirit of God that has to move so mightily for the church to grow has to move so radically on this one couple to say, we don't mess with the holiness of God when it comes to holding back. They continue to have these amazing healings. In uh, chapter 5, as it talks about verses 10 through 12, healings, squealings, all these different things that they're walking through, only so that once again the leaders get put in front of everyone and they get arrested, detested, and beaten for their cause. I find that very interesting that as the end of chapter 5 ends, the leaders are being beaten and everyone around is watching this happen and you have to think at some point, okay, is this kind of the demise of the early church, right? If your leaders are publicly being whipped and beaten, is this kind of where it all comes to a screeching halt? The reality is, as these beaten leaders are leaving the whipping post, we find them doing what? But blessing the very people that are present, putting out this humility to the people that are present as if to say, I cannot believe that God would find me worthy to be beaten on behalf of this cause. And what is the end result of that? The end result of that is the church continues to grow and the word of God continues to go forth. Romans 8.28 says, All things work together for those who what? Love God. And I can't tell you how excited I am to tell you because this simple passage that we're going to deal with this morning is going to reveal something about a simple conflict that results in one thing become manifest clear. And that is, from day one of the church till day zero when the Lord returns again, whatever your start to finish, zero, A, A, A to Z, whatever your number's situation is, we need to keep the main thing the main thing. There is only one cause that we gather for, that we leave for, that we work for, that we labor for. And we are going to see that the early church figured this out early and got out of such a beeline on it that I think today you will see it as well. The main thing is to be a witness for the word of God. It's never going to be a situation as, will there be conflict? It's never ever been documented. Never think in your mind, will there be conflict? There will be conflict. There will be distress. There will be struggle. There will be strife. Take hold. In this life, I have overcome. We need to realize something. It's not if, but when it does occur, how we react. That's so crucial. Conflict is part of life, and the early church is going to teach us something about how we can deal with it. Let me pray as we get ready to read Acts 6, 1 through 7. Father God, I thank you for what has been an amazing week of study, especially in light of all the different situations. Clearly for my heart, Father, the the early church represents regular people who, who showed up. They showed up and they were willing to be used. They showed up and they, and they were jars of clay that simply said, you know, we come from all these different places. We have a lot of different concerns, but what would you have for us? And the Spirit of God so mightily moved upon them that even though they were from so many different places and so many different things, for the cause of Christ, they became united. And as we stand here today in Costa Mesa, California, as we believers in Jesus Christ today stand here today, Father. We are the repercussion of the match that was lit 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem. And you said it would begin there and it would continue to burn from there until the ends of the earth. And we pray, Father, that not only does that continue to be true, but that we can also have a heart for our community, for our friends, for our family, for the people that are in and around us, that we might be seen worthy 
of this great and amazing gift that has been given to us. In the name above all names, your son, Jesus Christ, in his name I pray, amen. So if you turn with me, let's just read, let's walk through this whole passage once, and then we'll step back to it line by line. In the days when the number of disciples was increasing, so that's the net results of whole chapter 5, the Hellenistic Jews, Hellenistic Jews are Greek-speaking Jews, amongst them complained against the Hebraic Jews, that's uh, Jews that are speaking Aramaic, right? Because their widows are being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. And we will in turn turn this responsibility over to them. And we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. And this proposal pleased the whole group. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmasius, Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. And they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now, when it comes to describing the early church, whoa, don't lean down there. When it comes to describing the early church, one problem I think when we think about them is all the wonderful things that they did and all the amazing growth that they have. Sometimes we kind of think of them as the perfect church. But one of the reasons why I know Ananias and Sapphira is included in that account is to remind us they were anything but perfect. What they were was faithful. And that's something that we need to first start with that kind of cornerstone for us. We cannot be a perfect church because the day you and I walked through that door, perfect went out the door, right? So we should never enter into the building with any pretense for any one of us to ever be perfect. The goal for us to walk in that door and to be part of the body of Christ is that we would be faithful. Now, the question is, what can we be faithful to? The difference for them is that when they walk through conflict, they want to be faithful to the high call of Christ. They want to be faithful to the fact that conflict would shape them to be more like Christ. Now, that's crucial. And because they're the early church, we're talking about our forefathers, the way they respond to it and the things they establish help us understand why we're still doing what we're doing today. Much of what the church has done and is doing will fall directly from this. Why? Because as we saw in verse 1, the net results from a church that's growing, if you're growing and you're bringing in people from all different walks of life, is inevitable. What is going to happen if you bring in a bunch of different people from a lot of different places to one place? Conflict, growing pains, struggle, strife. I don't care what verbiage you use. The net result is it's going to happen. You just cannot bring a bunch of people together from all kinds of different places, even if the cause is so great as the cause of faith, and not expect there not to be struggle and strife. The difference is the way that they're going to deal with it, especially because James, the brother of Jesus, has already said in James 1.27, feeding orphans and widows is not an issue. Feeding orphans, neither is baby Lucas is not an issue. We love baby Lucas. That's my boy right there. Feeding orphans and widows, by the way, cannot be the issue. Let's just, let's just clarify that. They take alms, money, and food every single day. That's part of society. That was, that was ingrained into the society. Every day at a regular time, they're taking in things to cover the widows and the orphans. 
The problem is when they're taking in all these alms now is now it's coming into the church. And the church has now stepped into distribution. And once it steps into distribution, there's going to be an accusation in verse 2 about favoritism. About one group receiving more or less or before the other group. And that's what the issue is going to be. It was never about is one thing more important than another or is waiting tables some kind of inferior task. That's never the question and that should never be jeopardized. The church knew and clearly understood feeding orphans and widows was a high call and a priority for them. The difference was, was it being done with favoritism? And they had to remind themselves of that. They had to remind themselves that based on language, there could be a problem simply because, remember, it's Hellenistic Jews, which means Jews who grew up outside of, of, of Israel. So they grew up in different parts of the world, so they're probably Greek-speaking first. Okay? They're Greek-speaking, and they're coming back to Aramaic-speaking Jews. And just simple language barriers alone, there could have been indifference of that alone. However it works out, somehow, someway, someone's claiming favoritism. So what are they going to do? It says in verse, in verse 2, in order that the distribution of food not become a problem, the 12 gather together. Who are the 12? The apostles. They're not just somebody. They're not just anybody. We're talking about the founders of our church. We're talking about apostles. The reason why you can't call yourself an apostle today is because apostle means something. What does an apostle mean? Eyewitness, right? So when someone tells you today, I'm an apostle, really? Of what? Yeah, because these guys were apostles of Jesus Christ. So their initial power, so this is going to be important when it comes to laying hands on they, their hands were laid on by Jesus. The power that exists 2,000 years later exists because Jesus laid his hands on those apostles. Those apostles are then going to lay their hands on everyone. We'll watch this fall out later. Their eyewitnesses, they were there. The power has come from the beginning from Jesus and continues to us today from that source. And they said, hey, look, we're the apostles. We know what we're going to do. We're going to get everyone together. Just like this, they gather everyone together and they say, look, here's the situation. In order for us to not neglect the ministry of the word, we cannot wait on tables. Now, I don't know about you, when I first read that, depending on whether you read NIV, NASB, or King James, it sounds a little negative. Waiting on tables seems like a little belittling, right? Maybe me, just you? Okay. But that's not the situation at all. That's just the way the verbiage reads. What they're saying is, we already have a high calling on us. Do you guys remember what the high calling is from Acts 1.8? Turn back really quick, Acts 1.8. Let's do a quick little... Go, 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 go. Acts 1-8. You need this. This is... I'm not going to rush you. I got it. Water break. Acts 1-8. So what they're saying is there's a high calling. There is a primary calling for the 12 guys who walked and talked with Jesus. Obviously, it was 11 minus 1, then 1 added. These guys have a high calling that supersedes everything else. Not that one is better or worse, but for them, it is their primary calling. And Acts 1.8 tells us what it is. It says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be what? My witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That, folks, is the high calling that was birthed in the church that is why we are here today. It is the sole purpose of anything and everything that we do. We exist to carry on this high calling to be witnesses 
of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Anything else that we do is secondary. That's why we need administrators. That's why we need deacons, servants. Okay? Everything else is going to work in such a facet as to provide the opportunity, the inroad, so that the Word of God, prayer, teaching, and the living out of the Word of God can go forth in everything that we do. If you get distracted from your primary call, please, please read Revelations for a quick reference to what happens to a church that loses its primary call. It's called the Church of Ephesus. It's a terrible, sad story about a church that loses its first love. And it does not only not work out well for them, but it's a reminder for us, we cannot lose our primary focus. There's always going to be things that beckon for us to do. There's always going to be important things that are needed to be done by the church. They simply must be organized and prioritized in such a way that the word of God always goes forth. At every cost, at every corner, at every decision, everything that we do, the word of God, prayer, bathed in prayer, the word of God goes forth. And when he says this, in in 3, it says, brothers and sisters, choose seven from among you who are known to be full of the spirit, wisdom, whatever, and we will turn this responsibility over. He's literally creating this first group of deacons. The 12 are saying, hey, look, we can't do it all. If you guys seriously think that two pastors or four pastors, actually with Jimmy and Don, we're four pastors now. If you seriously think four pastors can minister to 150 or 200 adults, plus your friends and family, there's no way. It doesn't work like that. We, We need the help of teams. We need the help of these other servants that work alongside of it. Everyone is playing a significant role. And so he says, hey, look, I want you to select these people. I don't want you to just select anybody. It's not just raise your hand and volunteer. I want you to select someone who is, first of all, known. Known to be full of the Spirit. Why? Because they need integrity. You can't have someone doing food distribution for widows because you're going to have money, property, food allocations. You're going to have all kinds of... You're going to have vulnerability, right? You're going to have a lot of different factors coming into play for these widows these people need to be people of integrity. Just because someone shows up and says, hey, I'm ready. You know, often someone will show up at a church and they'll say, I'm ready to volunteer or something. And the church says something like, well, we have like a six-month policy or something, whatever. And, and if they react like, well, that's ridiculous. That's always kind of like a tell sign for the church to say, is it? Because I know some churches, it's like a year. Like we have to walk with you for a period of time to get to know you. That just seems like it should be sensible to you. We're trying to protect the flock. That's what pastors are. We're shepherds. We're trying to protect the flock. And he's saying, hey, look, these seven people that we're selecting, they need to be known. What else do they need? They need to have the opportunity to say that they know the ministry of God's word, that they they have the opportunity to be full of spirit and wisdom. They need to have a testimony of faith. If they don't have a testimony of faith, just because they're willing to work and just because they have integrity, if they don't have a testimony of faith about them, because wisdom in and of itself is an interesting concept. The Bible actually uh, describes a passage which makes wisdom really easy to understand. It says it's the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? Eric has talked about this numerous times. It's this reverential awe, right? I know who God is and I know what he can do but I also know how much he loves me. 
So in light of that fear, I'm going to live in such a way that's beneficial. I know that my tomorrow is already taken care of, so I'm going to live in such a way that I have wisdom because now you have the opportunity to do something, to delineate the difference between urgent and significant. Urgent is something relevant to this. We have a limited time offer to present the gospel. That's urgent. Significant is all the other components needed for us to do to share the gospel. Any other ministry that we do, administrators and ministry leaders are all absolutely significant. But the role of all those other ministries is simply that we might live out through prayer, always through prayer, and then the teaching and the living out of God's word to get to that one point. And that's really significant because as you look at kind of the group as they're selecting the different people, I find it very interesting that part of their wisdom was to uh, choose that one guy, Nicholas, from Antioch. It says a convert to Judaism. Do you know what a convert to Judaism, what their language would be if they're a convert to Judaism? Greek. See, that makes more sense now to how the group is forming seven, right? Because isn't the initial complaint Greek-speaking widows are not being taken care of like the Aramaic-speaking widows are? What happens if they just got seven Aramaic-speaking dudes to take care of the problem? Maybe there's favoritism right out of the group. Isn't the whole point of not having one person be the decision-makers the wisdom of elders and deacons? Right? That's the whole point of that, is that you have this opportunity to see the wisdom of the group, that they have this accountability within the group to challenge themselves through God's word to say, are we honoring God's word in this? So they bring a Greek speaker in who now has the opportunity to speak on behalf of those. I'm not going to talk too much about when I get to 6-2, I'm not going to talk too much about all of the, all the people, especially Stephen. Um, Eric will pick up that next week. Stephen's awesome. He's going to be the first martyr, but I'm going to let Eric pick up on those next week. So they presented them and they keep moving through this because everything they do... Uh, let me back up here before I present them. They bathed everything in power. Is this four? Yeah, four. And he says, if we do this, if we give them the responsibility of, of passing out food, what we'll do is give our attention to prayer and the ministry of word. Now, prayer is so important. I kind of put this in my notes. I think of prayer now as gasoline. And I think of God's word as the engine. Right? How many of us have a, a car with no gasoline in it? And we wonder why we're not going anywhere. There you go. Well, as soon as you're old enough to drive, Mr. Bundy, we'll get you some gas and we'll fire that puppy up and we'll get that taken care of. Prayer starts and stops everything. And for them, I, I, when it comes to biblical words, especially the way order is stuff, I don't, I don't think any of this is by randomness. I think this is absolutely significantly by design. I think prayer, church, is, is there for a reason. If you don't start with prayer and end with prayer and bathe everything in prayer... I think by, by default, you're pulling the gasoline out of the engine of God's word. I really do believe that. If the prayer of a righteous person availeth much, and the prayer of a righteous person can hold back the rain, then why are we devaluing prayer as being like, well, I can't really help you, so let me pray for you. Have you ever, have you ever heard somebody say something like that? I can't really help, but let me pray for you. Think about what we're doing to something that I'm thinking, based on what the first church is saying, is not just significant, but downright critical to who we are. We need to cornerstone our thought. And you know what? 
not only can I do anything for you, I'm not going to do anything for you, but I'm going to do something for you that's better than anything I can do for you. I'm going to hold this up in prayer every single day. I'm going to get on my knees and lift you and your family or your marriage or whatever up every single day and pray that God would destroy the walls that are breaking down around you and, and making you vulnerable to the situation. If we just changed our heart and mind towards prayer, I tell you what, the early church knew, the apostles knew, the guys who walked and talked with Jesus, they knew the power of prayer. We should not forget the power of prayer. In that light, it helped them keep the main thing the main thing. And a church that prays, a church that's committed to teaching, a church that's living out God's word is a powerful tool to be reckoned with when it comes to who God is and spiritually speaking, how God can use us. We need to serve in such a capacity to remind ourselves we're not laboring for earthly things. We're not laboring for earthly accolades. We're not laboring so that the newspaper can write articles about us or people can like us. We are laboring in such a way that we are laying up treasures where moth and thieves and rust cannot destroy. We are laboring for the high calling to be witnesses of our Father. And what's the result of this? Verse 5 says, the proposal pleased the entire group. Can you imagine that? They were three, you know, 500 when they started, 3,000 on the movement of the Spirit, 4,000, 5,000 more men added in verse 4. There's 7,000 plus people, plus or minus men and women and children. And in this first year of growth, all of a sudden, a single decision like this to add another group, to add a contingency of leadership, and it pleases the entire group. Not one or two, not a contingency, not a faction of, but it says it pleased the entire group. Wouldn't that be nice to have church buy-in to that kind of degree? That we could create something and do something and that everyone believed, yeah, that's a good thing for us to do. I'm glad that we did that. That makes perfect sense. And those individuals, based on those credentials, they knew this is going to be an important ministry that we are going to fulfill. Why is this an important ministry that we know that we're going to fulfill? Because in verse 6 it says, they then presented those people to the apostles. Why would they present them to the apostles if it was not a significant ministry? Well, the, the reason why they did present them because it was a significant ministry. To be presented to and prayed for meant that you were being set apart. <clears throat> Remember last week when um, Don and Jill left for Costa Rica? Um, we had them come up. You guys didn't know they've changed the name officially to that, Costa Rica? Yeah. So we had Don and Jill come up, and then we have like elders come up, right? And we pray for them. You know, I think sometimes we do stuff in church, and maybe you haven't grown up in church, and you're like, why did, why did they do that? What's going on? What? Is one person praying for them good enough? I mean, why does everyone have to pray for them? I don't know. You don't, I'm not asking you to raise your hand. Why does the church do what it does? Okay? It does what we do because this is what has been done from the beginning of the church's establishment. We commission and we set apart those who are giving their lives to live in such a way as to say, I am going to live to be a witness for God. I'm just going to be a witness for God in a different land, in a different state, in a different country, in a different place. And we lay our hands on them. Why? Be because me or Eric or the elders, we have power? Absolutely not. I tell you right now, if any of you walk with me this week and seen where I've been in the last 24 hours... You'd think a lot of things other than I have power. You'd think just how feeble someone can be 
And just like with communion, every time I preach, it's a, it's a whirlwind. Five migraines in the seven days. This, that was just a normal week for me. I mean, it's a, it's a lot. I labor from a different place when I preach. I have no other power other than what's been given to me. And in the same way the apostles gave their first seven people power and laid their hands and authority on them, by the power of the Spirit of God that was placed on them, it's been continually passed down the line. And that power that we have today is the same power that we have. Do you think the Spirit of God that moved on the first church is any different than the Spirit that's available today, church? Do you know the root word for um, the Holy Spirit is dudamas? It's a cool word, right? Dudamas. Same word for dynamite. The power to knock down walls. The, t- the power for someone to believe or not to believe. The power for someone to say, this makes no sense, yet for some reason, this makes sense. The power for you to say, there's only one name above all names, because that's what he said. He said he is the way, the truth, and the life. And for them to walk away from him and say, you're crazy, and then they go to bed at night and they're like, is he really crazy? Because I can't get that out of my head. Is there really something more to life? That same dynamic power that birthed the church 2,000 years ago is alive, well, and available today. And it's the same spirit that we evoke when we say, Don and Jill, in the name of Jesus, through the power of Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we put that commission on you to go and boldly do what? Proclaim the name of Jesus. And may everyone else that's around you administer and deacon and support and do everything else that they need to do so that that platform to profess the name of God is protected at all costs. That's all we have, church. That's all we have. We can do many, many good things. The Mary and Martha principle has been around a long time. We can do many good things, but we're not called to do good things. We were never called to do good things. We were called to do better things. And the better thing is the high calling of putting that word of salvation in front of the lost. And they presented this information and they prayed for them and they laid their hands on them. They knew something was going to happen. And they knew in some way that it would manifest the truth. And what does it manifest in verse 7? What is the result of not being thrown off by conflict, not being thrown off by arguments, not being thrown off by growing pains? The result is the word of God spread. Church, if we have problems, if we have conflicts, if we have growing pains, if we struggle with any kind of situation and the word of God stops growing, then I would tell you that whatever we're arguing about, we need to let it go. If it's my interest that initiate it, then I will tell you this. On behalf of any interest I ever have to this church, if it impedes the word of God going forth, I yield. It's not worth it. Nothing we say or do or want or need that impedes the word of God going forth from here into our friends, into our families, and into our neighborhoods, and into our jobs. If we do anything to impede that, we yield. Because that is the high calling that the first church gave us that said the gates of hell will not what? Prevail against you. It's not going to stop you. Nothing can stop you if you understand what your high calling is. And the word of God spreads. And the number of disciples, what? Increases rapidly. 
Have you ever been to like a baseball game or a football game where they do like the crowd wave? You know, and, uh, and then it goes around. Yeah, thank you. It's, it's always first like six people, you know, they're always like really motivated, like, hey. And then they're like, no, and then like 20 people like, hey. And then like at Dodger Stadium, like, you know, the place that I, and sooner or later it starts growing. And then you, you see it like moving around the stadium. And then pretty soon there's like this anticipation as it comes. You don't have to do anything for the word of God to move, church. It's coming. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I can, you can feel the word of God coming. You, you, you sit there and you're like, oh, we got to do something new. You know, there's, there's, there's this desire in ministry. What's the newest thing? Got to get to the new thing. What's the latest thing? There's nothing new under the sun. It's already coming. The wave is coming. It started 2,000 years ago in a little teeny town called Jerusalem. And it's been moving through the whole earth. And it will continue until the ends of the earth. Because Jesus Christ himself said it and nothing's going to stop it. So just wait for the wave to come and then just, yeah, when it comes, just, just, just like get into it. Hey, yeah. And just like celebrate with it. It's like, wow, man, we are part of something. We are part of something that's so much bigger than Costa Mesa and 53 churches. We are going to see one day the fullness of the church of God that is so much bigger than anything any of us could ever fathom. You know, when you start... Anselm was a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant philosopher. Anselm once said, For God is a being so much greater than you can think, for at the moment you think of him, he's already bigger. It's like I'm going to contemplate God. You know, I can just picture someone who's like a philosopher, like, and God's laughing. I'm like, that was it. You already ruined it. Like, you can't think, you can't put your mind at God's so much bigger than that. The early church knew that. Just keep the main thing the main thing. Don't stop the word of God moving forward. Don't stop sharing with your family, with your friends, with your neighbors. Don't stop being the church Monday through Saturday and thinking the church is somehow some event that we do for one hour. This is not the church. The church has been going on all week. This is just, this is just part of it. You feel it when again. It's just a continuum. It's still going. People are waiting for you today. Phone calls need to be made today. Emails need to be made. Conversations are still in motion, waiting for you to continue to be the church. Anything that distracts us from prayer and teaching and sharing of God's word, anything that distracts us, church, it has to be yielded. You have to let it go. Because you do not want to be the person that stops the spirit of God from moving. If the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it, why would you stand in front of it? There's nothing new. There's nothing new. Save your time. Save your energy. Stop reading if that's what it's all about for you, chasing that particular... Spend your time reading God's Word. Spend your time reading John. Spend your time reading Romans. And spend your time reading Acts. Those three cornerstone books, you can spend the rest of your spiritual life reading and be developed to such a degree that you will be a spiritual warrior like none other. There is sufficiency in the word of God that it will continue to teach you and reveal itself if you pour yourself into it every day over and over again. You will never master the word of God. It teaches us anew. We've, I'm sure Eric and I are both on second or third time through Acts. And it continues to reveal a new component every time through. That is how faithful God's word is even to the shepherds who've committed their lives to studying it every single time. I didn't catch that the first time. Oh, wow, that connects all the way back to here. Oh, 
jump to here. That makes perfect sense. And that's how good and faithful our Father is. Keep the main thing the main thing. Don't be distracted by good things. Feeding orphans and widows is a high calling of the church, but it cannot distract from the primary call. The word of God must go forth. Guys, it's urgency. There is a limited time offer to bring the good news to the lost. Today, someone's going to die and go to hell. Today, someone will be the last opportunity that may or may not be related to us, a family, a friend, a work connection or something. We might, today might be the last chance that we have to publicly profess Jesus Christ to them. There is a sense of urgency that we need about our life that we need to be reminded about today that they knew 2,000 years ago. And if we can dial all that back in, then I leave you with this. The scripture says the word of God will not return void. Let's not recreate the wheel. Let's not go out and try to climb some hill that there's no victory on top of. Is this an abandoned hill? Just leave it abandoned. Let's focus on the main hill, salvation, salvation mountain. Let's just, let's just labor for that one hill, the one hill that's worthy of our time. If there's a hill in war that's worthy of thing, it's the highest hill. Like you ask any of our vets, if there's a hill that they're going to die on, guess what? They're not going to die on the low hills. They're going to die on the one hill that's the highest hill in that valley. You know why? Because there's a military advantage to being on the highest hill. And that's what we need to labor for. We need to labor for something that's worthy of our time and energy. The high calling of the word of God through prayer and living out. Okay? Care and share God's word. If we can do that, then just like 2,000 years ago, it kept them moving forward. It will keep us moving forward. Let me pray as Eric and them head to the tank and we get to celebrate Jay's baptism. Jay, I'm going to get you guys to move back there and let you guys go. Father God, I thank you for today. I thank you for what is and what has been such an amazing first year of ministry in the book of Acts. I mean, John and these leaders are just, they're just, they're just amazing guys and yet they struggled. Think about the last few weeks of their life. And how they struggled to just maintain their faith. And yet you still found them worthy to build a church on. And as we stand here today and as the church has grown into millions of people, Father, your, your, your word has been true. Everything that you said has continued to be true. And we are so grateful for the high calling of the name of Jesus. Father, we pray that you would remind us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. That we would not be distracted by good things, or even well-intentioned brothers and sisters, Father, but we would just realize that there's so many every day, so many who just don't know Jesus, who don't know the saving name above all names, that we need to just press on and run in such a way as to win the race. The race is that they would hear the name of Jesus. Whatever they do with it, Father, is between them and the Lord, but they need to hear the name of Jesus. I pray that we can live that out, that we can be the church Monday through Saturday in our schools, in this neighborhood, on this very street, and, and live it out in such a way, Father, that just like those, those first leaders walking off the whipping post, telling a crowd, can you believe I was found worthy to be beaten for the way of Jesus Christ? Can you believe that? Man, that's just mind-blowing. How could people resist that? It's, it's no wonder why the word of God is the only unresistible faith in the whole world. 
every known religion in the world has succumbed and will continue to succumb. The Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Father, I just pray they do that while they're alive. We already know that will manifest, but I pray they do that while they're alive, that they would yield to your son. Thank you for the opportunity to be servants of the Most High. We ask you in such precious and holy name. Amen.